Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you um, have ever asked yourself a question similar to this one? How on earth did I get here? How on earth did I get here? Have you ever asked yourself something a little bit like that at some point or another? Yeah? A few hands going on. I imagine most of us have at some point. It's the kind of question that you might ask yourself um, if at some point you've ever gotten lost. Anybody ever gotten lost? Yeah? Yeah? A few people not being honest with me this morning. It's very disappointing. Okay, you know, those times aren't there where the route seems so simple and, and you're following the directions and everything's going well and then you miss a turning and suddenly the directions don't make any sense and you're trying to follow them but, but you're ending up and nothing adds up, nothing makes sense and you, you're going along and then you stop and you have to try and unravel whether did it all go wrong? How on earth did I get here? You know, but just as the question is, is relevant to us when, about physically getting lost, It's also the kind of question that we might ask ourselves sometimes about the situations that we find ourselves in in life, isn't it? You know, we may find ourselves trapped in a a job or in a relationship. We may find ourselves um, in court. We may find ourselves in the kind of club that we really we have never normally go to. We may find ourselves in a situation where our bank balance is in the red and, and we don't even know how we're going to put food on the table. And we look back and we think, how on earth did I get here? How did I end up in this mess? And it's not even just a question that we can ask ourselves when things go wrong. You know, the the, the question's just as valid um, when we think about the good situations that we might find ourselves in. You know, I, I stand before you today as a pastor who lives in Cornwall. And I absolutely love my life. It's a great situation to, to be in. But if you'd asked me 15 years ago what the future held, then neither being a pastor nor being in Cornwall would have featured a jot. And so I can stand here today and I can look back and I can ask myself, how on earth did I get here? When those years ago I could never have even imagined that I would have been in this kind of a situation. You know, what were the small steps that have been taken to bring me from where I was to where I am now. And and that's the reality, isn't it? Whenever we find ourselves in situations asking ourselves this question, how on earth did I get here? The reality is that we got there by one small step at a time. One small decision at a time. Now, I came across some um, adverts this week by an American uh, TV company trying to persuade people to get rid of cable and and to sign up to their service instead. The whole premise of the adverts um, is that this one small decision could change everything. Um, They're a little bit silly, but why don't we watch a few of them together? When your cable goes out, you get stressed. When you get stressed, you need to get away. When you need to get away, you go for something exotic. When you go for something exotic, you get bitten by something exotic. When you get bitten by something exotic, things swell up. When things swell up, you can't go home. And when you can't go home, you become a local fisherman they call Big Fatty Face. Don't become a local fisherman they call Big Fatty Face. Get rid of cable and upgrade to Direct TV. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. When you pay too much for cable, you feel down. When you feel down, you stay in bed. When you stay in bed, they give your job to someone new. When they give your job to someone new, he has a lot to learn. When he has a lot to learn, mistakes are made. And when mistakes are made, 
you get body slammed by a lowland gorilla. Don't get body slammed by a lowland gorilla. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. When the cable company keeps you on hold, you feel trapped. When you feel trapped, you need to feel free. When you need to feel free, you try hang gliding. When you try hang gliding, you crash into things. When you crash into things, the grid goes down. When the grid goes down, crime goes up. And when crime goes up, your dad gets punched over a can of soup. Don't have your dad get punched over a can of soup. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. When you pay too much for cable, you throw things. When you throw things, people think you have anger issues. When people think you have anger issues, your schedule clears up. When your schedule clears up, you grow a scraggly beard. When you grow a scraggly beard, you start taking in stray animals. And when you start taking in stray animals, you can't stop taking in stray animals. Stop taking in stray animals. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. When you have cable and can't find something good to watch, you get depressed. When you get depressed, you attend seminars. When you attend seminars, you feel like a winner. When you feel like a winner, you go to Vegas. When you go to Vegas, you lose everything. And when you lose everything, you sell your hair to a wig shop. Don't sell your hair to a wig shop. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. They're great, aren't they? <laughs> it's a bit of fun, but, you know, I don't think any one of those people set out with the intention of becoming a, a fisherman in the West Indies, or um, becoming a crazy animal man, or even um, having to sell their hair just to pay for the taxi home, do you? It wasn't what they set out to do. And they might seem like pretty ridiculous examples that no one would ever plan for. But here's what I know. Um, about you and what I know about every single one of us. None of us plan to make a mess of our lives. None of us plan to make a mess of our lives. No, no one has ever stood at the altar on their wedding day. And while they're there saying their vows in the back of their mind, they're really thinking, I can't wait to get married. Because when I'm getting married, I'm going to make a mess of this whole relationship. You've seen some bad marriages, but just you wait. This is going to be the worst one yet. It's not anybody's plan, is it? Nobody plans to make up any kind of, um, to mess up any kind of friendship or relationship that's meaningful to them. No, nobody sits in their room and thinks, how can I sabotage this relationship? How can I break this person's heart? Nobody plans on purpose to mess up their bodies physically and to get caught up in addictions. Nobody sets out to, to spend their money on gambling or just shopping on things that they don't need until it reaches a point where their bank balance is in the red and they can't put food on the table. These are the kind of things that nobody ever plans to do. But despite that, so many people find themselves in messy situations that they never planned for. So here's the conclusion that I've, I've come to. While nobody plans to make a mess 
up of their, of their marriage or of their relationships or of their body or of their finances, a lot of people never plan not to. It's actually very rare for people to, to make a plan to put things in place to make sure that they don't end up in those kind of situations. <clears throat> now, we think that just having good intentions is, um, is going to be enough. And we set out with the best of intentions. But I know from my own life and from my own experience and the kind of mistakes and situations that I found myself in, the, in the good intentions are not enough. I know and the evidence that I've seen over the years from talking to other people is that that's the case for, for them too. Now, how many of you have ever driven um, on the motorway, either as a driver or a passenger? I imagine pretty much all of you have, yeah? Again, some people not, not joining in. It's very sad. <laughs> you know, when you get in the car and you set off on your journey, wherever it is that you're going, I bet that you, um, you would say that your intention is not to crash. Would that be fair to say? Yeah? Your intention is to stay on the road, to be in the right lane, and to safely reach your destination. But even though that's your intention, if you've ever driven along for, for a longer time on the motorway, you'll have seen that the highways agency have been very considerate, and they've put all sorts of things like crash barriers in place, just in case things don't go to plan. And one of the things that the highways agency have put in place are what's called rumble strips. You know, these are these um, bumpy strips that run along the, the inside edge and the outside edge of the motorway, um, and they're, they're there and they're designed um, so that what happens is, as, as you're driving along the motorway and you get a couple of hundred miles in and you start to get tired, or as you're driving along and you start chatting to the person in the passenger seat or someone on the other end of the phone and you, you lose focus for a second and the car just starts to drift a little bit towards the edge, suddenly what happens is... And the whole car shakes, and you're shocked, and you're made alert of the fact that the car is drifting, and you pull yourself back on course. They've put these things in place. Because the highway agency realizes that even though people set off on their journeys with the best of intentions, that they need to put things in place to keep them safe. To protect people in those moments when they have lapses in concentration and lapses in their judgment. And so the rumble strips are there to stop you. They're there to stop you from straying into dangerous areas. To stop you from needing the crash barriers to keep you safe. You know, that's a a rumble strip on a motorway. It's a warning. It's something designed to grab your attention, to keep you away from disaster. But here's the thing. Just as with driving, the best of intentions is never enough. So the same could be said for every area of your life. So what kind of rumble strips, what kind of crash barriers have you put in place to keep you from financial or moral disaster? You know, we're continuing our series today, Inspiring Influence. And and for me personally, I know that um, the people who have had the most influence on my life The people who have inspired me and have called me up to something more. They've all been people of integrity. They've been people who not only had good intentions, but were intentional. People who not only said they'd like to have a good marriage, or they'd like to be honest in their workplace, but who decided in advance 
where they were going to draw the line. They decided in advance how it was that they were going to ensure that they followed through on those good intentions. They decided in advance that they weren't prepared to compromise. And they put in place rumble strips. They put in place warning lights so that they could be sure that they never went near those things. You know, if we want to be a people who are an inspiring influence in the lives of others, then we need to do the same. So to help us grapple with this idea, to help us to grapple with the idea of rumble strips and, and how this works, we're going to look together at a character in the Bible and the, um, who understood this principle and who had clear convictions that he was stood by and was not prepared to compromise on. So we're going to look at the character of Daniel. Um, Daniel, for, just to give you a little bit of background, he was alive during the time of a king called Nebuchadnezzar. You've probably heard of, of Nebuchadnezzar, but he was a, a king in Babylon and he was a very successful king. Um, in fact, it was through his leadership that Babylon grew to become uh, the greatest empire of its day. It was Nebuchadnezzar who is, is credited for building one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, build, building the hanging gardens of, of Babylon. But Nebuchadnezzar, he had a leadership tactic which helped to make him great. You know, most of the leaders and the kings who were around in Nebuchadnezzar's day, when they conquered another land, they would go in, they would find the king, and they would kill him. They would find the other leaders and they would kill them. And then they would look around for the, the best and the brightest of the musicians, of the scientists, of the architects, of the builders, and they would kill all of them too. And the reason that they would do that is because they wanted to eliminate the competition. And they wanted to make this stance which said, our people, our nation is the greatest and the best people on the planet. But Nebuchadnezzar went at things differently. When he conquered a new land, He'd kill the leaders and he'd kill the king. But he would search out for the best. He would search out for the brightest. And he would not kill them, but bring them back to Babylon. He wasn't intimidated by the idea that there were people of other cultures or ethnicities who might be smarter at something or better at something than his own people. He just wanted to pull the best and the brightest to work for him. So when he conquered a nation... Nebuchadnezzar imported the best and the brightest, even the prettiest people from the place where he went. And he brought them back to Babylon and he put them into a three-year training program. And the whole aim of this training program was to strip away all of their original culture, all of their own culture, all of their own religious beliefs, all of their own kind of worldview, and to impose on them the culture and the beliefs of Babylon. And in 605 BC, this is exactly what happens when he conquers Jerusalem. And, and among the, the entourage of people that he, he brings back with him to Babylon are four people that you, you might have heard of. There's Daniel, who we're going to talk about today. And then there are the three others, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Who were, I want to encourage you, go away, read the book of Daniel through the week and, and hear their stories. But these four guys, they're enrolled into Nebuchadnezzar's training program with the intention of stripping away all of their heritage, all that it meant to be Jewish, all that it, it meant to, to believe in, in, in God, and to, to replace it all and make them Babylonians. And this is what we read in Daniel 1. We're going to read verses 5 to 16. It says, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the other young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and he gave them vegetables instead. Not my choice of meal, but there we go. <laughs> you know, at first glance, you, you might read the story and think, what's the big deal? It's just food. But you've got to understand what it is that's, that's going on here. You know, Daniel and the other prisoners, they have just experienced what it's like to have an army come and destroy their homes, loot the temple, kill their loved ones. They've then been arrested and tied up and forced to walk 800 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. They're the defeated nation. And all that they could have expected is that if, well, if we've not been killed, then we're being taken to be slaves. And yet they arrive in Babylon to discover that they, they get to live in the palace. They get to eat the best food in the empire. They get to receive an education and a training for, for three years. In other words, most of the captives, when they find themselves in this situation, they're going around giving each other high fives, saying, fantastic! We don't have to be slaves going down in the salt mines, we get to live in the palace. And then at the end of the three years, the people, they have to face an exam, and the best of the best of them would be appointed to serve in the king's household. Now, as, as career options go in the ancient world, that's as good as it gets. And Daniel goes into this situation. He faces this great opportunity with good intentions. His intention is that no matter what, he will hold on to his relationship with God. He will live a life which honours God. That no matter what nation he happens to be living in, he will serve God. And Daniel looks ahead. And he is smart enough to realise what it is that's going on. He's smart enough to realise what the king's aims are. That the king's aim is to indoctrinate them and to, to, to make them Babylonian through and through. And so he, he doesn't just go into this situation with good intentions. He decides in advance to be intentional. He makes his mind up in advance how far he is willing to go. He makes his mind up in advance where it is that he's going to draw a line. Where his rumble strips will be. So that he doesn't find himself ending up in disaster. So, he allowed the Babylonians to give him new clothes. 
He allowed them to, to shave his head and to pierce his ears. He allowed them even to give him a new name. But he drew a line which said, I will not compromise on the things that God has called us to as his people. I will not eat the food from the king's table. You might think, it's just food. You know, wouldn't you be tempted in his situation to think, well, we're in captivity now. Surely the rules have got to change. Can't be the same rules now as they were then. God's surely going to understand. I mean, what option have I got? It's just the way it is. I've, I've got to go along with it. Everyone else is doing it. But Daniel knew that if he was to compromise once, then it would be so much easier to compromise again. He knew that if he was willing to compromise here, that really, what was going to happen is that this was just going to become the beginning of one small step at a time. Until he finally found his beliefs and his convictions and his faith being eroded away. And then one day he would wake up in a situation that he could never ever imagined himself being in. And he would look back and say, how on earth did I get here? So in verse 8, it says that Daniel decided to do something that I want to encourage all of you to do. It says that Daniel resolved. He made up his mind in advance what the line was going to be. He decided that enough is enough. This is as far as I will go. This is as close as I will get to the line of disaster. And for Daniel, very different from us, but for Daniel that meant that he resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal food and wine. And most of you will know if you've read this story before um, that you know the story turns out pretty well for Daniel, doesn't it? And um, you know it's, it's, a, it's a great story to read. But right now in this moment, Daniel doesn't know the end of the story. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. And this is a challenge for you and me, isn't it? That Daniel made his mind up. He took his stand before he knew how the story ended. He was probably only a teenager at the time. You know, and he's been taken from his home. He's been taken um, from all of his loved ones. And he's surrounded by some of the most powerful people in the world. People who hold his, their, his life in their hands. And by making this statement, by saying that he, he won't eat their food, he's risking everything. And, and if that wasn't enough, can you imagine how insulting it must have been? When he went over to them and he said, didn't just say to, to, to this Babylonian official, I don't want to eat your food and drink. He said to him, your food and drink would defile my body. Can you imagine how insulting that must have been? You know, imagine if you've invited some people around who are new in the area, you invited them around for dinner. You, you want to get to know them and so you decide you're going to try and put the best food on for them. And, and when the people arrive at your house, you're chatting and, and as you chat and you welcome them, they ask you, what's for dinner? And you tell them and then this look of disgust crosses their face. And they say, I don't want to defile my body with that food. You'd be pretty offended, wouldn't you? It'd be insulting. And twice Daniel uses that word to describe the king's food. Imagine how insulting that must have been to the Babylonian official. But he took this stand. He made this statement. Before we knew how the story was going to end. The thing is that while he didn't know how the story was going to end, 
because he took this stand. I think he could predict how the story would end if he didn't. I think he could predict how the story would end if he chose to compromise. He knew where things were leading and he wasn't prepared to go down that road. Not even to take one small step. And so he made a decision in advance to protect himself from going further than he had to. And the amazing thing is that, you know, it's a seemingly tiny decision, isn't it? Such a small decision. But it seems to set the direction of Daniel's entire life. You know, if Daniel hadn't made this decision, I don't think we'd be reading the book and all about him today. But this decision, this refusal to compromise, becomes a hallmark of not only Daniel's life, but the lives of, of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know, and as you, as you read through the book of Daniel, you discover that it stays with them. And this is why I think they have been inspiring influences in the lives of followers of Jesus for, for thousands of years. And I think when Daniel reached that place of being prime minister of Babylon, later on in his life, second only to the king, he would have looked back and he would ask himself, how on earth did I get here? And he would look back to this one small decision as a defining moment. This one small decision not to compromise, but to honour God as set in the direction for his entire life. You know, it may be a small decision, but the thing is that you have no idea what hangs in the balance with the decisions that you make about where you are going to place your rumble strip, about where the line is that you are going to draw that says this far, but no further. You know, I believe we, we need a rumble strip for every area of our lives, whether it be how you work, how you handle your finances, the way you approach your marriage, um, or any of your relationships with other people. You know, and where you place that rumble strip, where you draw that line, and what you base that decision upon will become a defining moment in your life. In the future, you will look back and you will ask yourself, how on earth did I get here? And you will realise that this one small step, this one small decision was the beginnings of God not just protecting you from making a mistake in that moment, but actually the beginnings of God, as you show yourself to be faithful, God directing and guiding you and leading you into his plan and purpose for your future. You know, maybe that there are areas in your life, your marriage, your finances, your, your work, that you're already aware of actually, if you're honest, heading dangerously close to crossing a line that will lead to serious consequences. It may be that you've already crossed that line and you're actually trying to deal with a mess of those consequences. Or it may be that right now you feel that life is good, things are great, and everything's on track. But whichever one of those situations you find yourself in, now is the time to be looking at the different areas of your life and making a decision about where it is that you're going to place a rumble strip. So that like Daniel, whatever comes your way, you will remain faithful to God. As you do that and you make up your mind and you refuse to even head down paths that lead to compromise, to even entertain temptation and put in place these rumble strips as warning signs when you find yourself drifting off course. As you look to honour God, God will honour your decisions. 
And he will protect you and he will establish you and he will bring you into his plan and purpose for your life just as we find with Daniel. Um, Up until I was, I don't know, 18, 19, these kind of ideas had never even crossed my mind. I had no idea and I lived life with, certainly without any rumble strips, without any warning signs, without any clear boundaries or lines that I'd drawn that I refused to cross. Um, I was a person with good intentions. I set about, you know, wanting to, to live life in a good way. And I had high ideals, but, you know, I cannot even begin to count the number of times that I found myself heading further down a road that would lead to disaster than I would like. I cannot begin to count the number of times that I found myself compromising and asking myself questions like, how on earth did I get here? You know, the two clearest examples for me were with alcohol and with women. Both things which I had good intentions with. You know, I wanted to drink responsibly, and I wanted to handle my relationships with women well. But, the reality was that I regularly failed at both. Alcohol became a real issue for me. And um, anytime I was hanging out with friends or wanting a good night, alcohol is what it revolved around, you know, through all my teenage years. And uh, I may have told you this before, but one of the best decisions that I ever made was when I went to university... And I moved to Manchester. I decided to be teetotal. Um, And it wasn't that I thought that having a drink was wrong. But I knew that within a student culture, if it was known that I drank, that there would always be a pressure to drink more. That there would always be a pressure to compromise. And so I chose to draw a line. I chose to, to put a rumble strip in place. That meant that even if I had one drink that suddenly the car would shake and I would have this warning sign come on and I would be alert and I would correct my course before I headed into disaster. You know, and I believe that that one small, seemingly insignificant decision, because it was motivated by a desire to honour God and to do things His way, helped to set the course for the rest of my life. But the reason that small decision was effective and made such a difference is because I made the decision to be teetotal before I went to university. Before I was in the heat of the moment. Before temptation was in front of me. You know, when we're in that moment, when we're in the heat of the moment and temptation is there and we haven't made a decision in advance, the reality is that more often than not we will find ourselves heading down a path that we don't want to. Making wrong decisions regretting it and asking ourselves, how on earth did I get here? So we need to put the rumble strips in place in advance. So, where do you put them? How do you know where to draw a line? How do you know what's right and what's wrong and how to protect yourself from compromise? Sadly, I can't just tell you what to do. It doesn't work like that, as easy as that might be sometimes. You know, we all need to come to a decision as to where we are going to draw a line for ourselves. And it, it may be that as I've been talking this morning, God's already been prompting you in certain areas in your life. And if you're already aware of areas where you, you need to put rumble strips in place, but you're, you're not sure how to or where to, and I want to encourage you to 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 talk to another godly Christian in your life, maybe your growth group leader or your momentum group leader, and to to ask them to help you work through it. 
But wherever you're at today, I want to encourage you to, to use this as an opportunity to examine every area of your life, your relationships, your work, your finances, every activity that you're involved in. And as you do that, to ask yourself, what's my best intention? What is the ideal that I have? What is it that I feel is God's ideal that he is calling me to within this area in my life? And as you do that, if you're, if, if you're honest and you're unsure that actually maybe I've already drifted off course and, and you're wondering, you know, some good questions to ask yourself if you think you might have drifted off course um, or if you're evaluating the things that you're doing. Ask yourself things like, would you be embarrassed if others knew what you were involved in? If your parents or your spouse knew what you searched for on the internet, would you be embarrassed? Would you welcome Jesus to sit by your side and to be a part of all of your activities and your conversations? Would you encourage everyone to do what you're doing? What kind of world or a community would we be part of if everyone did the same things that you were doing? If everyone handled things in the same way that you handle things? Can you pray and ask God to bless what it is that you're doing? Is it the kind of thing that you feel you can invite God into to be a part of and to help you with? You know, and as you ask these kind of big questions, it will help to shine a light into your life and for you to honestly to see where you may have begun to drift. Of course, from God's plan and purpose for you. And once you've answered those questions, you can then begin to look at course correction. Putting the rumble strips in place to make sure you never go there again or never have to go there in the first place. Ask yourself questions like this. How can I, with God's help, stay as close to my own good intentions and God's ideals as possible? How can I stay as close to God's best for me as possible? What decisions can I make? What rumble strips can I put in place so that in those moments when I find myself facing temptation or facing, or, or, or facing the, an unintentional drifting off course, what can I put in place so that alarm bells ring and I wake up and I realize and I can make changes before there are consequences that I have to live with because of it? You know, if you're willing to take time to bring every area of your life before God and to ask him to shine his light on it. And then if you're willing to have the courage like Daniel to stand and to take what may seem like small, insignificant steps of putting rumble strips in place, then I am convinced that in the future, when you look back and you ask yourself, how on earth did I get here? You will pinpoint the small decisions that you make as a defining moment in leading you to that place, in directing you into God's plan and purpose for your life. You know, it might be that there are some of you who are here this morning and, you know, as, as I've talked to you, if you're, you're honest, you feel like it's already too late. You've already gone off course, so what hope is there for you? And if that's the case, then I want to encourage you but with Jesus, it is never too late. We have a great God who is inviting you to come and to receive his forgiveness. We have a great God who loves to give second chances. 
We have a great God who is into turning things around and transforming lives. And this morning is an opportunity for you to bring yourself just as you are, mess and all, to Jesus. Whatever you may look like, whatever it may be that you feel you have done, in whatever way that you may feel like you've compromised on your integrity, whether it be in a secret place that no one else knows about, or whether it be something that actually is just so blindingly obvious, because you've allowed your life to drift in a certain way. You know, as you bring yourself just as you are to Jesus, he promises, he promises that he will forgive you, that he will wash you clean, that he will give you a new start, that he will bring your life back on track. And it's a promise and it's an offer that that God is making to every single one of you today. Nobody is excluded. There is nothing that you can have done that would put you outside of this offer. No matter where you're at, God is reaching out to you today. You know, I believe that God wants to give each and every one of us um, today an opportunity, no matter where we're at, to just commit our lives to him in a new way. An opportunity to, to, to make it a day when we put a flag in the ground and we make our stand and we say, this far but no further. Whatever areas in our lives that we may have been struggling in to say, that's it. Today is a day when I'm taking a stand and I'm going to put things in place to keep me in God's ways. I just want to give space for you to do that, for you to make that decision to, to commit your life to Jesus, whether it be for the hundredth time, the first time, whether it be that you've been following Jesus and it's just one little area of your life that you just feel like you need to recommit to him and open up to him. I'm just going to pray for you guys and um, just invite you, just in your heart, just to, to open up and to bring to God the different areas that he may be prompting you in the different things which are going on to make this a defining moment